Hey, this is the Orchard Hill Church Podcast. This is our final sermon in our series, Life Without Lack. We hope that you are blessed by this series. And man, if you want to find out more about what's happening in our church, head over to ohohio.com. We'd love to tell you more about what we're up to. Enjoy. Our words of life today come from Psalm 23. We're going to read the whole psalm together as we wrap this season uh, in the psalm today. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So as we begin, I want to dismiss our fourth and fifth grade class to head out with Adam. So if you have a fourth or fifth grader here, they can uh, follow Adam and they're going to have a time together um, studying God's word. And man, I'm just so blessed. Has this series been a blessing to you? I feel like the longer I sit in Psalm 23, the more... If you grew up reading the Bible for information, sometimes you read it and you're like, all right, I got it. Let's go to the next thing. But when you read the Bible to like really let it saturate you, when the scriptures become a meeting place between you and the spirit of God, then you can read the same thing over and over. And it's like fresh things just come to you all the time. It's been really beautiful to kind of like marinate in Psalm 23, you know, to let it kind of soak into our souls a little bit. Uh, It's been so fun. So thank you all. I hope that uh, what the Lord has been teaching you has been refreshing you, that you've been seeing him as your shepherd more and more. Today we are in the sixth and final verse of our psalm. Uh, And if you weren't with us, we've kind of gone on a grand tour, but it all started with God. Um, And it all ends with him as well. The beginning of the psalm starts with the Lord is my shepherd, like Yahweh is my shepherd. And it ends, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Starts with God, it ends with God. Uh, This is a beautiful thing, a beautiful reminder to us as we get going today. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice the shift to the future tense. One of my seminary professors used to say, good theology is in the verbs and the prepositions. (laughs) You got to pay attention to those things. And here in the the scriptures, we've gone from he's leading me actively to to peaceful places besides still streams. Even when my uh, enemies are around, he's, he's preparing a table for that. He's anointing my head with oil. But in this verse, we shift from thinking about the present to thinking about the future. 
Uh, and that's going to be a significant shift that we make today. If you weren't here my first week, you missed a story that I told about my dad's encounter with WWE Hall of Famer Junkyard Dog. Um, basically, my dad was a principal and he had a kid who got in trouble for doing something to a teacher. And so he suspended the kid and the kid didn't like it and said, I'm going to send my dad up here. My dad was like, for you, send whoever you want up here. I'm the principal. But he didn't know that this child's parent was the junkyard dog. Uh, Eric and Mary Ayers gave me a lot of grief because I told that story to make the point is like, if you don't know who you're dealing with, it really shifts the moments that you're in. And they were like, hey, that was a great point, but you didn't tell us how the story ended. Well, since we're at the end of our time in Psalm 23, I figure I'd start off with the end of this story. My dad said when the junkyard dog walked into that middle school, the junkyard dog was not ready for a parent-principal conference. He was not interested in having a civil conversation. He was hot. Matter of fact, my dad described it. He said, you ever seen him run into a ring? That's what I felt like happened. I felt like, like both the doors opened. There might as well have been like smoke and entrance music. Because he was on a mission, and that mission was not a mission of peace. And so as he came in, they realized very quickly that he knew where this teacher's classroom was and that they needed to get between the junkyard dog and this teacher as soon as they could. So my dad and the officer who was on site there run down the hall and basically like pin this teacher into a closet. And the junkyard dog is trying to get into this closet, and they spent... He said about 15 minutes just trying to de-escalate him to get to the point where they could even have a conversation. He said he came in that place pursuing that teacher. And at that point, I think my dad and the officer and the teacher all saw the junkyard dog, not as a Hall of Fame wrestler, but just as an enemy, as someone who was chasing after them and who could probably take their life if things went really awry. But can you imagine being pursued by someone in a way that is menacing, in a way that is threatening? Uh, I actually, on social media right now, there's a trend, um, a scenario has been posed where they're like, hey, would you receive a gift of $10 million and immortality in exchange for the fact that there would be another immortal being on the earth, except it, wouldn't, it would be a snail. And the snail is indestructible and always inching toward you for the rest of your life, and if it touches you, you die. Would you take that deal? And it's been interesting to watch because people are making videos and some of them are, are laughing about it. They're like, yeah, I just like put a jar over him and I'm good to go. Some people are running through all these scenarios about how, but, but the whole idea behind it is really simple. Like if there were something that was constantly chasing you and could kill you for the rest of your life, is that something you'd welcome no matter the price? And a lot of people are like, no, like that would create so much anxiety. Every time you go to sleep, you know, that snail's just, you know, you go to the store, the snail is like, you just keep, and you would constantly be pursued by something that was going to ensue your death. Um, this is how a lot of people feel about life all the time. That there are enemies coming after me all of the time. 
that when I'm asleep and when I'm awake, when things are good and when things are bad, that I am being pursued by enemies. As a matter of fact, in this psalm, in a lot of other psalms, you hear David literally praying to God, God, I'm being pursued by my enemies. Rescue me. Save me. Destroy them. Do something because these enemies don't stop. There's this pursuit. And not like a killer snail, but in many ways, like having real enemies. And if you, if you don't have people that you can name as your enemies, congratulations. But also, like, the scriptures are really clear that, like, we do have an enemy in this world who longs to just steal and kill and destroy, to make sure that the life that God has intended for you, a life without lack, would be something that you never experience. That the promises of God would always seem like something that sounds nice, but we never really know in our bones because we don't live in that reality. We live in a reality where our enemy is constantly trying to pursue us, that he is this roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. And that's true. But it's interesting because when this psalm describes life under the shepherding of God, to use New Testament language, in the kingdom of God, the pursuer in this reality is not an enemy. It is God himself. It's not enemies that pursue us, but God himself who pursues us in the kingdom of God. This is a huge change in the way that the people of God would have to learn to think. They think Egypt's coming over the ridge to destroy us. And God's like, I'll part the sea and lead you through and destroy your enemies because I'm your shepherd. God is trying to teach them when they fix their eyes on who their shepherd is, not only does he set a table where their enemies become people that they commune with. But ultimately, it is not the pursuit of enemies that your life is defined by. It's the pursuit of God after you that marks all of your days, your past days, your present days, and your future days. He says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Two words there in Hebrew. Goodness is the word tov, Tov is God's goodness in action. So God is good, like the state, like he is, he is good. So when he does things, it is goodness. It is tov. It is goodness in action. Scott McKnight talks about this being everything from truth-telling and justice to compassion and empathy. It is every way that goodness is manifest in its most pure form. He says goodness and unfailing love, that's the word hesed, which is that word for God's covenant faithfulness. Unfailing love is a kind way to try to really enwrap this. But the idea is because God made a promise to his people, there's a faithfulness to love that is unchanging from God. And the verse here says it is God's goodness in action and his covenant faithfulness that pursue us for all of our days. So four big principles here. One, God is good. Two, God does good things. That's Tov. These are all things that we have to stand on. Third, God promises goodness. He promises Tov to his people forever. 
That's the promise of God. His covenant is you will, you will receive my goodness. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will faithfully give myself to you to be your God. And then God keeps his promises because he is faithfulness in and of himself. These four things are absolute game changers to the understanding of what it means to be God's people on the earth. Of what it means to be God's people in your family, in your neighborhood. Because you are a person that God's goodness and unfailing faithful love is pursuing every day of your life. Every day of your life. So your best days, God's love is, is right there pursuing you. It's the killer snail. But it's not killer, nor a snail. It is God pursuing you, coming around and beside and after you. In your worst days, it is his faithful love, his goodness that is pursuing you. I mean, think about this. Before you drew a breath, God knew all of your days. He knew your deepest, darkest shames and failures, as well as your greatest accomplishments. He knew everything you are and everything you would do, everything you would do relationally, you would do in the secret. You, he knows everything. And him knowing all of that sent Jesus to make a way, to pursue, like the pursuit of God is him sending the Son to bring you back to himself so that this promise could be yours, that he would make a covenant with you in Jesus. And Jesus would be the shepherd of your life. And because he is your shepherd, regardless of what you have done, like the good news is that all of this stands true because of who God is, not because of who you have been or you are or you will be. Not because of what you have done or are doing or will do. Because all of this is rooted in God's faithfulness. There's three stories that Jesus tells to kind of extend this idea. In Luke 15, he tells three stories about three lost things. Can anybody name them? Coin, sheep, son. Three stories. And these are beautiful stories because they show us that God values lost things. I heard a guy this week talk about how it's interesting because the odds there are incredible. If you had something that was immensely valuable and you just had two of them and you lost one, you'd probably go after it. You have 10 and you lose one. Hmm, I mean, 10%, that's still a loss. I don't want to lose that, so I'm going to go after it. 99, well, I mean, what's one? Well, to God, because God values his people, because God values his sheep, it is that one that he pursues with all of himself. But it's interesting that the son story is the one I want to focus on now because it's the one where we really see pursuit most embodied in a way that we can relate to. And it's called the prodigal son story. If you don't know the story, it's the, the story of a son who goes to his father and demands his inheritance. And then he takes it and he goes and he wastefully uses it, throws it all away. It ends up in absolute poverty. And so he gets this idea, I'm going to go back to my, my home. I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm just going to say, hey, can I just be like, I don't, I don't, you don't have to treat me like your son. I know I've blown it. I know I've done all the worst things. If I could just work for you and not eat slop 
out of the bin of a pig. Like, just the lowest servant here. Please. That son's often called the prodigal son because the word prodigal means, like, wasteful, uh, wasteful of extravagance. Um, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God where he points out that it's actually funny in this story that we call the son prodigal because if anyone is wasteful and extravagant in the story, it's the father. Because it's the father who sees his son coming up the road. Here in uh, verse 20, it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Like I get this image of just like a long road leading to a house, way off the road and just a porch. And a father just sitting on the porch every day, just looking down the road, scanning the horizon for the one he loved. And it's, these are the questions that the other son brings up. Like, he, remember, the, he takes the son and he lifts him up. He says, let's throw a party. Here's a robe. Here's a ring. Rejoice for the one who is lost has been found. And the other son's like, what is going on? Why are you wasting all of these things on the son who is rebellious? And the beautiful thing is, because of who the father is, his reaction makes perfect sense. Even if it doesn't to the older son. Because the father's good. Because he's good, he does good things. He toves. He takes the son who squandered everything and he embraces him. And he restores him. And he forgives him. And he gives him a place as a son again in the family. This is the picture of a God who pursues. And, and what he does is when he pursues and he embraces his son, it is to give him a place to be. A place to be, a place to dwell, a place to live. When you're pursued by God's love and his promise, it is so that you would be with God. That's where the, the second part of this, where it says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in the Jewish mindset, when they hear the house of the Lord, they think temple in Jerusalem. Like the house of the Lord is not... You know, just like a cool church name that you would find in some big city. It is how you refer to the temple. I will live in the temple forever. Which in one thing is like, if you remember the whole Psalm 23 is written as this expansive picture of the Exodus. Which starts with their deliverance, but ends with them landing in the place of promise. And the place of promise is not just a land, but it's the land where God himself dwells. Where God is their people. God is their God and they are his people and they live in his presence. That was the joy of the temple. Was that God's dwelling was among his people. That's why when, when Moses, when they were told they would keep going, Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. It wasn't the land that made God, God's people this people. It wasn't their birthright. It was the presence of God in their midst that made them the people of God. So here, when we read the idea about dwelling or living in the house of the Lord forever, this is not primarily an image about heaven. We're going to get there. Because there is a future and we want to talk about it. 
But this is not primarily an image of heaven, but of access to God at all times. It is the promise of a future where God is present in the midst of his people. This is important because if we make this verse primarily about heaven, you realize like when you get, when God is your your shepherd and he offers himself to you and you offer yourself to him, that intimacy, that's what heaven's going to be about. Matter of fact, in Revelation, as they're talking about when heaven comes down, in, verse, in chapter uh, 21, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. Like the hope of the Christian faith is heaven coming to earth. And God being with us fully. Not in part, not in glimpses, but fully. And it says when God shows up, when his dwelling is with his people, all of the enemies like fear and sickness and death are no more. When God pursues you, the pursuit of enemies doesn't matter because when God is with you, enemies can't stand. It is his victory in his very presence. That marks us as a people forever. And this is good news. Like if there's not a part of you that reads that and doesn't kind of yearn for that, you need to ask what's happening in your heart. Because I think everyone who knows Jesus longs for the day where what we know in part, we just know it fully. Where this world and its brokenness these headlines that we read every week that just break our hearts and make us wonder, where is God, if anywhere? That God says, I'm doing things to reconcile the world to myself, and the day is coming where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and bring heaven to earth. And every enemy, every enemy will no longer stand. Because I will be with my people, and they will be with me. That is our hope. But the beautiful thing about this particular psalm is living in the house of the Lord and the intimacy that comes with that, especially as we think about this as people who live on this side of Jesus, Jesus who has died and is raised and is, in the right, is seated at the right hand of the Father who's reigning, who's given us his spirit. There's an access that we have to the presence of God that is not like it once will, that it will be, but it's unlike anything that it has ever been because of what Jesus has done. Matter of fact, in Matthew 27, it says, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, he shouted again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The image there is loaded, but one of the simple things that it points to is that God, through the death of Jesus, has opened up access to himself. 
that everything that you need to have access to God fully, you have because what Jesus has done. And that's amazing because that is, Jesus is literally the pursuit of God, the goodness and unfailing love of God pursuing you for all of your days. And if you know your own testimony, you know that Jesus has pursued you long before you ever pursued him. That your story is a story of God chasing you and awakening you to the point where you would respond and that you would offer back your life to the one who has offered himself to you. And Jesus has removed every obstacle, both so that our past would not keep us from the presence of God. And in this moment that we would have full access to the presence of God because Jesus himself is the sacrifice forever offered, opening us up to heaven, giving us the grace and the mercy that we need. But also all the days of your life, there is not a day where the access you need to the intimate presence of God has not been given until the day that he shows up and wipes everything out that could possibly keep us from seeing his beauty and majesty and reign. And this is what's amazing about this psalm is that you don't have to wait for heaven to experience the presence of God. Like when it says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Forever doesn't start when you die. Forever's already begun. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. There's an access that we have because of the goodness of God, specifically in Jesus, that is good for all of our days, including today. So I want to read that last verse. I'm going to invite our band to come up, and we're going to go into a time of response. But I want you to sit in this and just think about this. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you here, you just need to rest in the fact that Jesus is pursuing you. Let's be honest. You might come into this room on a Sunday, not because you feel like God's been super faithful to you, because you're looking for something for him. Like, God, show up because I feel like I'm, I'm clinging on to my last breath here. And that's okay. I want you to know that Jesus pursues you faithfully with his goodness. I want you to know that no matter if you're in circumstances that you feel like you made yourself or that have been forced upon you, whether it is financial worries or sickness, relationships that are a struggle, I, I want you to know there's nothing in your past or present or your future that keeps God from pursuing you with his goodness and unfailing love. And it's, it's because it's all, it's all based on him. It's not based on you. He doesn't pursue you because you're good. He pursues you because he's good. But in his goodness, it's to bring you to himself. I was praying uh, with our, our group. We have a group that prays every week at 9 um, 9 to 9.30. We'd love for you to join that if ever you have the time or need prayer. But we were praying in here at 9, and one of the things that, that really struck me is that um, God's pursuit of us and us having access and intimacy with him 
Like the problems, the problems never God's willingness. It's just, it, it's our own willingness to say, I, I want to live in your house. I want to know you. Like, I, I want to I be pursued by you. I welcome you, Jesus. Like Jesus has already chosen to come after you. That's, that's the story of Jesus. It's that God sends his son so you wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life. So that you would have life forever and forever starts, well, it's already started. So you can just step into it. It's an ongoing stream of reality. You don't have to wait for heaven to know God. You can know God in this moment. You don't have to wait to get cleaned up because God offers forgiveness. He doesn't wait for you to clean up your act so that you can come. He cleans you up because he came. And he invites us to come dwell in his house, to come live in his house, to come know that the presence of God is not something you have to travel to discover or earn, but that because he is the good shepherd, you can dwell in his house forever, even today. So as we come and we sing, maybe there's a part of you that's just like, hey, I, I need to be, I need you, God, to pursue me and welcome me. And maybe you just pray that and see how God responds. Maybe you give a little silence because sometimes we have to listen in order to even know what God's up to in our own life. Maybe you're here and you just need to quit fighting the God who's pursuing you. He's not an evil snail. He's a good God who has the best for you. And maybe you're here because, and you need to just say, hey, God, I want the intimacy of knowing you and living in your house. Like you're not a prodigal that God's going to refuse and say, okay, you can go work my fields. You're the one that he's gonna say, you can come dwell in my house. Not because you've earned it or you're owed it, but because I, I love you and I'm, I'm good. I'm the good shepherd. As we sing, make space and listen. And if you need prayer today, I know Chrissy and Wanda, myself, will be down here. We would love to pray with you about anything that you need. Um, but your future and all of the days in it from here into eternity. Know this, because God is good, you can live in his house today. That invitation is always open. It's as open as the arms of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we are just overwhelmed with your goodness. God, I, I don't know goodness like yours. I don't have it in me. But God, I know that your goodness is what I need. I'm so glad you've pursued me and that even now you desire to embrace us. So Lord, we welcome them. Holy Spirit, come. Speak words of life. Let us know your nearness. Be the good shepherd.
Like be the one that you've promised to be because it doesn't threaten you to do it or you wouldn't have promised it. You promise it because you are so good and so above anything that we can even imagine. And help us to know the love that you're giving us in this moment. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.